Acts 28, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and uh, I want to share a message with you this morning. I like to entitle this message, Shake It Off. Sometimes in life, you've got something that bugs you and, uh, and bothers you, and you have to learn how to just shake it off. And I want to try to help you with that today just a little bit. And I'm very proud of our uh, college, very proud of you students, thankful for your home churches, thankful that you're here. And uh, everywhere I go, I hear great reports about graduates from West Coast Baptist College, uh, graduates that are pastoring, serving as missionaries, Christian school teachers, and uh, already this, this year's senior class Dr. Getch is meeting with is about 95% placed already. And people want to have uh, a fresh generation of servant leaders coming out and serving. Once in a while, someone calls me about a graduate of ours that's not doing what we taught them here. What we're trying to teach you here is to be a Baptist, rightly divide the word, don't get all whirly and, you know, putting little puka shells on and opening your collar and smoke machines and whatever else. And, and uh, people call me and they'll say, I saw a guy that graduated from your college and he's not taking a very good stand. And I say, well, I'm very sorry to hear that. I'm very embarrassed that that would be the case. But I can't control every graduate's action. So what I tell the conservative graduates is this. I say, you guys ought to take your stand and you ought to get on Twitter and say, I'm thankful to be a part of the line of independent, separated Baptists preaching the King James Bible, thankful for my Bible college that it hasn't changed. Hey, you guys take, those of you that have a conservative heart for Jesus, you take your stand in this generation, right? And uh, we need men that don't bend or bow or change, just be true to what God's called you to be. And uh, I know for 33 years, I've been preaching the same book the same way, doing soul winning and all the missions program, all that God's called me to do, and that's what I intend to do uh, until God calls me home. And I want to challenge you to do the same, uh, and I want to help you, because sometimes when you're trying to do the right thing, problems will come your way, and you've got to learn how to shake it off when it comes. And so this is an interesting passage that I hope will be a blessing to you. Acts 28 and, uh, and so follow with me, uh, verse 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And as the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat. I love this. It didn't just bite them. What does it say? What does it say? What a wonderful day of the ministry. What a wonderful missionary trip he's having here, right? Uh, I envision it in my mind anyways. I mean, he's holding up his hand and there's this snake hanging down off of it. And so the Bible says in verse number four, and when the barbarians, now our culture today would, would call the barbarians the uh, you know, the ancient uh, people that we need to learn from and, and uh, you know, sit at their, in their circle and smoke pipes with them and learn from the barbarians. But the Bible just says they're a bunch of barbarians, right? So, uh, so we, we live in a funny day when people want to lift up these barbaric cultures as so wise. But when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, <laughs> whom through he hath escaped, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire, and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked 
when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a what? This is what barbarians do, and it basically has to do with how much marijuana they're smoking at the moment. <laughs> their, theolo- their theology changes, right? They're sitting there having whatever, you know, barbiturates barbarians have, and, you know, one minute they're thinking, you know, this guy's a really bad guy because he's going to die now, and then he didn't die, and they're going, this guy's a god. <laughs> and that's kind of how Joseph Smith came up with Mormonism. It's just... <laughs> It's, it's how it works, I'm just telling you, when you don't go by the Bible, right? So anyways, they changed their mind and they said he was a god. Verse 7, in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And maybe just to get a little bit of the background on this, let's take a moment. And if you would, just look back a little further, uh, if you would. Maybe let's see here. Uh, back to verse 40 of, of chapter 27. When they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves under the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoised up the mansail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion willing to save Paul, kept from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and they got to land and the rest some on the boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass, they escaped all safe to land. So we'll put that together here in a minute. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the time we have in chapel. Lord, every day we need a lesson from chapel. We need a truth that will help us to stay faithful to you. So give that today as my prayer through your word, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the Apostle Paul is continuing a journey in chapters 27 and 28 of the book of Acts from Caesarea to Rome, and uh, he is going to stand before Caesar in Rome. He is going to reside there for two years, and he is traveling on what the Bible tells us is an Egyptian wheat ship. And as he's traveling along, chapter 27 says that he comes into a fierce storm. The name of the storm is called Euroclidon. And and we see that this storm literally, according to the verse that we read a moment ago, breaks the ship into pieces. And as the ship is broken into pieces and some wanted Paul to die, the centurion, which would have been the commanding officer, said, "If, if there's guys here that know how to swim, let them swim. And so apparently the Apostle Paul, verse 44, some of them were on boards, uh, and this is is probably the only place in the Bible you'll find the word board. We do not have a deacon board, we have a deacon fellowship. And uh, a lot of times the term board implies 
uh, very heady thoughts to people that aren't scriptural, but he was on this board anyways. Here he's, he's on the board here, uh, uh, coming over to uh, Malta. And so uh, they escaped the shipwreck, and they come to a small island located off of Sicily, Sicily known as the island of Malta. And it appears uh, at first they weren't really sure which island they really were on. Uh, it was an island ruled by Rome, but inhabited by what we would call Phoenician people. And imagine this, you're, you're shipwrecked, it's raining, it's storming, you're on an island, but you're not really sure what island it is. You're a prisoner, but now you're sort of kind of free. And I would just say to you as a student, maybe a freshman thinking, boy, is this you're going to get over? Am I going to pass? If you've ever felt like you've had a bad day in college, why don't you just take a moment and think about this day the Apostle Paul's having, right? And by the way, I like to say this often, that if you can't handle a bad day in college, I wonder if you can handle a bad day in ministry. Because there's tough days in ministry. I don't think our missionaries, every day's a great day. There's difficult days in ministry. And what we're going to learn this morning is that the Apostle Paul, as he comes to this island of Malta, is going to find that even though it was a difficult day, that God was with him in this day. And that through the power of God, no matter what kind of a problem would cling to him, that he would be able to throw it off, to shake it off, and to keep going forward for God. Now let me tell you that everyone you have ever respected in life and ministry has probably had some problems that they have shaken off and kept going forward for God. It might be your pastor. It might be a youth pastor. It might be a missionary it might be Dr. Getch, it might be a chapel speaker, but someone that you'd say, you know, that person has been there a long time. They've done something good for God. They've probably had some days kind of like this day in their life. So I believe there are at least three times in our lives when we need to shake the problem off and go ahead. And I'm going to give you those three times right now, okay? Three times in your life when you need to shake off the problem and just keep going. The first time is when you are stranded. When you are stranded. Now, here we see the Apostle Paul is physically stranded. He is cold, he is wet, he is fatigued, he is on the island of Malta, he is all alone. And there are times in your life when you are going to feel this way. Maybe things haven't quite worked out the way you thought they would relationally. Maybe things haven't quite worked out with the job you wanted. Maybe, maybe problems exist at your home church or even, sadly, between your parents. When those things happen, life can feel very, very lonely. I think this is how Joseph felt. How many of you would agree with me that Joseph might have felt lonely when his brothers tried to kill him, threw him in a pit, and he's taken into slavery 300 miles away? I think Joseph may have felt stranded. I, I think Daniel might have felt a little lonely with the lions in the lion's den. I believe that Elijah felt alone when he was running from Jezebel. I believe that John the Baptist felt alone when he was in prison because he had preached against Herod's adultery. In fact, it's amazing if you've ever studied the time that John the Baptist was in prison. He actually sent a message to Jesus saying, are you for sure the Messiah? I mean, imagine that. He'd been preaching his whole life about the Messiah, he said, behold the Lamb of God, but he was so lonely, and maybe some doubt came into his mind that he actually sent a message and said, 
I just, just want to make sure that you are the Messiah. And sometimes when people get lonely, they begin to doubt. Some people doubt, am I supposed to be in ministry? Should I go to Bible college or should I actually be a physical therapist or a car salesman? Because when you're lonely, you can begin to doubt everything. Paul spoke about his loneliness. I want you to turn, if you would, briefly to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Real fast, 2 Timothy 4, 16. Bible drill, ready, go. 2 Timothy 4, 16. Just listen to what he says here. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all forsook me. You know, sometimes you can be a leader like myself and surrounded by hundreds of people and feel like nobody is with you. Now, normally that's our fault if we feel that way, but sometimes we feel that way. Paul said, everybody forsook him. He said, I pray that God will not <coughs> lay it to their charge. Look at verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Let's say that together. Do you have your Bibles open to that? Verse 17, ready to begin. Notwithstanding, and strengthen me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You see, there are times when you're going to feel stranded, physically stranded. Paul was politically stranded, though uh, in this particular moment uh, he uh, was at Malta, he still was a prisoner of Rome. And sometimes we hear about Christians, even one pastor we know of in Turkey this morning, who is a political prisoner for his faith in Jesus Christ. I'm simply saying that sometimes in life you're going to be stranded. Sometimes when you're stranded you're going to feel lonely. Sometimes when you're lonely you're going to go through this paralysis of analysis, wondering what is the meaning of life? What am I doing here? Why is this happening at home? Why is this happening to my parents? And, 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 and I'm just here to tell you that when you feel stranded, that's a time when you've got to shake that off Go to the next class, get your eyes back on Jesus, and learn what Paul taught him. That even when he felt like nobody was with him, the Lord strengthened me. And learn how to refresh yourself in the Lord. Sometimes we feel stranded, and we've just got to shake it off. Let me show you a second lesson this morning. Sometimes you feel wounded. In the ministry, sometimes you'll feel wounded. And sometimes you will be wounded. So when you're stranded, you shake it off. But now let's look at this passage here. The Bible tells us in chapter 28, and beginning here in verse number 3, that Paul was bitten by a snake. Now, this was not a fake production, right? And, and I'll tell you uh, that there were times when there were people that were bitten by snakes in the first century, and it was a sign of their apostolic authority. And this was one of them. Let me show you a passage, and turn, if you would, in your Bible to Mark 16, 17. I often show this to charismatic people who say that you have to speak in tongues in order to know that you're saved. Some people believe that. Notwithstanding, even when tongues existed in the New Testament, not everybody spoke in tongues even in the first century. But here's an interesting passage, Mark 16, 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
And I've had people say to me, well, what about, what about these gifts like, you know, speaking in, <coughs> in tongues? And a lot of people like to talk about that one because it's one of the easier ones to uh, stimulate or simulate or copy, if you will. And, and what I often say is, well, the Bible says these signs shall follow them. So in my opinion, according to Mark 16, 17, it's either all of them or none of them. Either the sign gifts have passed away and the Bible has taken complete, prim, uh, uh, complete uh, preeminence, or we're supposed to still see all of this stuff in today's uh, worship. What I believe is that the book of Acts was a transitional book between the Old and New Testament, and until the New Testament was completed, God gave them what we call sign gifts so that people would see the miracle, hear the message of the apostles, and the miracle validated the message. And so God allowed these signs. And it, it says very clearly, these signs, right? These signs shall follow. So long story short, if we're going to practice speaking in tongues, then we've got to also say, well, okay, who wants the gift of handling the snakes? Come on, who wants that? How about, I've got some deadly poison here. Who wants to drink it? Folks, you have to have all or nothing. Either all these signs are still happening today or they have all ceased when the Word of God was completed. We're not saying that it didn't happen in the first century. It, <coughs> it did happen. The Apostle Paul himself was bitten and not even affected. Why? Because God was validating to this heathen culture in Malta. He was showing them that he had more power than the venomous snake. Now, this is a transitional time, the book of Acts. And uh, I've heard of some of the snake handlers. There's a, a church in Tennessee called the, uh, it's called the Church of God with Signs Following. All right? The Church of God with Signs Following. It was founded in 1880 by a man named George Henley, who ministered in uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. There's an, another church not far from that uh, called the Dolly Pond Church of God with signs following. By the way, one of my favorite things to do is to drive through the south. Uh, I was driving the other day through Georgia, and I was on my way to South Carolina, and I, I just kind of got off the main highway and just going on a subhighway. The names of the churches are amazing to me. All of the different, there must be 1,000 Piney Grove Baptist churches in the south. And, and there's nothing wrong with that name. It's just so many different names. But how many of you love How many of you would like to go to the Dolly Pond Church of God with signs following, right? Um, and so they, they had a problem, though, a couple of years ago. And that was that one of their members, a man by the name of Lewis Ford, uh, in the snake handling part of the service. And how many of you are music majors? Let me see your hands, music majors. How would you like to be making the order of service? Sing Amazing Grace. Joe, make announcements. Next song at Calvary. Uh, offering. Next, next item, snake handling portion. <laughs> and they had this guy grabbing these snakes out of a bag, and uh, his name was Lewis Ford. Problem was uh, that he, um, he got bitten so many times, he died right in the service of the church. And uh, not a good situation at all. And Wake Forest Divinity School has reported that there have been uh, over 100 people who have died in church services in the, last, uh, in the last 80 years doing this snake handling. Now, folks, we are Baptists. We believe the Bible's the Word of God. 
We believe that these were temporary signs, and I want you to say that you heard it from Brother Chapel. We do not advocate snake handling, all right? I want you to know that. Just in case any of you want to do purple lights and smoke machines and, you know, some kind of Christian rock band and get really radical and try snake handling, you didn't learn it from us, okay? Paul was bitten. And I want you to see this, what the Bible says. It says that uh, he was bitten and that this snake fastened onto his hand. He was bitten by a venomous snake. I just want to simply say to you, and I know that I'm giving a type and maybe uh, making an application, there will be times in the ministry when you are bitten. There will be venomous people who will say things. There will be people who will fasten onto you that are poisonous in nature. There are going to be times when you're wounded in the ministry. Now, this was a physical wound. Sometimes it's a physical wound. My friend Carrie Nance was painting the side of their church last year and fell off a ladder and had to get casts on both broken arms. That would be a terrible day in the ministry. But wounds come. And I can testify to you that sometimes the wounds that we face in our heart are as bad as the physical wounds of being bitten by an animal. And what do you do when someone says something unkind about you? And what do you do when someone writes something unkind about you, maybe on Facebook? What do you do when that happens? Do you just quit? No, the Apostle Paul, he shook it off. In fact, notice what it says there, if you would, uh, in verse number four. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And what did he do? He what? Verse five, look at it. And he what? shook off the beast into the fire. How many of you would have liked to have seen that? Right? How many of you believe Paul was a good fundamental apostle? Amen. He's, I mean, he's up here. He, here he is soaking wet. You know, he's just got shipwrecked off because of the Euroclidon storm. He's, he's now gotten shipwrecked off of this Egyptian ship. And he, he gets onto the board and he, he floats on a board over to the island now he just wants to warm up. He's just warming up by the fire and coming out of the fire. Boom, this snake comes. And how many of you would like to have been there when he kind of goes, oh yeah, wham, just throws it back into the fire and says, now let me tell you what I was going to tell you right here. I would have loved to have seen that. And, and uh, I'm just simply telling you that sometimes you're going to be wounded in the ministry. Someone's going to say, well, he's not much of a preacher. Someone's going to say, well, you know, he thinks he knows it all, or she thinks she's all that, and it doesn't feel good. And you can stand there and nurse your wounds, and you can have to get counseling. I get tired of so many people, and I just think I better get some counseling. Sometimes you need counseling, but sometimes you just need to shake it off. Throw it in the fire. And here we see that he was stranded, and he was wounded. And let me just show you a third, a third thought. This is maybe more of a devotional, but I hope it helps somebody. The thing that amazes me now is not only that he was stranded, not only that he was wounded, but he was branded. Now, now catch this, if you would. The Bible says in this passage, when he shook it off, uh, the Bible says in verse 4, and when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth him to live. Now here was a man branded unjustly. And I want to tell you that sometimes in the ministry, you're branded unjustly. For example, you'll go through a trial, and people are weird. They think things like this. Wonder what he did wrong. 
Or maybe your church will grow rapidly and then you have a trial and they'll say, well, you know, God's just probably purging that church because there's so much sin there. Or maybe your church will grow rapidly and they'll say, well, there must be something wrong with it because it couldn't be growing like that if it was really separated and fundamental. And sometimes in life, you're stranded and you're lonely. And sometimes in life, you're, you're, you're bitten and you're wounded. And sometimes in life, you're branded by people that don't even know you. In fact, I've probably had more people say things of people who've never met me, have never even come to this campus. They know more about me. It's just absolutely amazing to me sometimes. I can't wait to meet them in heaven. You thought it, I didn't say it. <laughs> Paul, was, Paul was branded unjustly. You know, Matthew 5.11 says, listen to this, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, sometimes people are going to revile you just because you're a Christian. Now, I don't know if you have noticed there's a lot of hatred in our country today. I mean, Mrs. Bush, Barbara Bush died yesterday. Probably, probably one of the best examples of a mother and a grandmother and a president's wife that we've had, some people are saying, since, uh, since our second president, President Adams. She was, she was an amazing lady. Amazing, happy, <coughs> happy lady. I, I cannot... <coughs> cannot presume upon her faith to say exactly about her faith because I did not know her, but an amazing lady. You know this morning on the news that there are people in secular universities saying the witch is dead. They're glad that that right-winged religious witch is dead. That's the kind of world that we live in. And some of you, for being modest and keeping your purity and just living for the Lord, are going to be hated like you were some kind of a witch or worse. That's the world we live in. And no one ever really told me in Bible college that maybe I'd get bitten or branded or wounded. No one ever told me about those things. But sometimes in this day in which you're going to pastor, which you're going to serve, that's going to happen. There's going to be people that are less than kind to you. Can I help you with this just a little bit? Last year there was a ladies' march at Washington, D.C., and one lady by the name of Heather Harrington was interviewed and she said, I'm here because America cannot afford four more years of a fundamentalist uh, Christian Taliban regime. That, in other words, when there's a Republican administration, it's not referred to just as the Republicans. It's a Taliban regime, you see. People hate the Christian faith. D.L. Moody was called Crazy Moody. You ever heard that? Billy Sunday was accused of just preaching for money. That's all he ever preached for. Many, many times I could give you many other names. W.A. Criswell preached for 84 years, 50 years at one church. And a former staff member, after Criswell was well into his 80s, spoke against him as a power-hungry tyrant. I could go on with the illustrations. I'm just saying, not just independent Baptist, in every circle. Anyone that gets anything done is going to be branded along the way. What did Paul do about that? Verse 5. He shook off the beast into the fire and, left and felt no harm. 
Howbeit, they looked when they should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, and after they looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, and they changed their minds, and they said that he was a god. He was branded unjustly. He was branded unknowingly. I mean, the bottom line is, these people didn't even know what they were talking about. And by the way, let me give you a little quote, gentlemen. The best way to answer a critic is to accomplish your task. Write it down. The best way to answer a critic is to accomplish your task. In 33 years, I've never written a note back to somebody. Oh, yeah, you're nuts. Never one time. There have been some times when I probably could have written and maybe won the case. But the best way to answer your critic is to accomplish your task. And you'll find if you'll stay at it, God will give you souls, He'll give you a ministry, and the critic will be without any of that. And no one ever builds a monument to a critic. You just accomplish your task. Now, we're almost done. I want to give you five ways to shake off adversity, then we'll be done, okay? So, ladies, write it down here. Five ways to shake off adversity. Because when you come back to West Coast Baptist College, you can share this in ladies' devotions and seem so very smart. Five ways, all right? First of all, the first thing we must do when adversity comes is we must trust in the Word of God. Trust in the Word of God. Now, Paul was told by the Lord that he was going to Rome. It's kind of like, you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a great storm rose up. Jesus was doing what in the ship? Sleeping. And his disciples came and said, Lord, why don't you care for us? Why don't you love us? We need to have some nuthetic counseling. This is very difficult to see these waves, and we've been hurt so much in the ministry, and now you're sleeping and you don't care. I've had people act like that. You don't care about us. No. The reason he was sleeping is he had just told them, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to go to the... Listen, when God says it, you mark it down. God had said to Paul, you're going to witness for me in Rome also. Paul was just trusting God to get that done. Secondly, how to shake off adversity? Keep on going. When Paul was bitten... He shook it off and kept right on serving. Satan strikes for the purpose of stopping us from doing what God has given us to do. But Paul had determined not even a deadly viper would stop him. He was pressing, Philippians 3.14, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. So, trust in God's word. Keep on going. Number three, keep serving others. Can, can I just show you a little something here in verse 3? This is a little something, but to me it's something. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. Now think about that, Brother Shepherd. Okay. He was on the wheat ship. He was a prisoner. He has to catch a board over to the island. Who knows what that was like? He's shivering cold. He could have been standing on the side saying, you mean I went to Bible college and got all that training and surrendered at Christian camp and went around on deputation and I, I said I'd be a missionary and this is what I get? He could have been feeling sorry for himself. He could have been saying, some of you barbarians make a fire. 
I'm not making a fire. I'm not a barbarian. I've been saved by the blood of the lamb. <laughs> but what's he doing? He's getting firewood. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but when someone mistreats you, go soul winning anyways. Come on, some of you men say amen to that. Someone mistreats you, do your homework. Go to class. Just do the right thing. Keep serving. So how do you shake off adversity? You trust God's word. You keep on going. You serve others. Number four, you let the Lord protect you. I mean, the first thing they said was, well, he must be a murderer because look at that. The snake bit him. You know, Paul could have said, excuse me, I was schooled in the school of Gamaliel, touching the, touching the law. I'm about as perfect as they come. He could have said, I'm not a murderer. He could have defended his pedigree, you know. He had every right to do that, but instead, he just let the Lord protect him. Because as he kept putting wood on the fire, his hand wasn't swelling. His hand wasn't swelling. He wasn't feverish. He wasn't falling over dead. You know, after a little while, they figured out, this guy's not the average criminal. Maybe he's a god. In other words, God took care of him. There will be people who look at you and are critical of you. And if you'll just keep your mouth shut and keep praying and trusting God and keep doing the work, one day they will have to look at your life and ministry and say, God's hand is on that man. God's hand is on that woman. So, so just let the Lord protect you. The Lord is my strength and shield, Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. And then number five, remember that God is in control. Okay, I'm going to give you a big quote here. I want you to write it down. Everybody ready? This one has helped me a lot. Any circumstance out of my control is in the will of God. Any circumstance out of my control is in the will of God. In other words, there's some things that happen in life. I don't know why a snake bit him. Probably he thought, why is a snake biting me? Why is he hanging on my wrist? I think I will shake him off. <laughs> you know, God allowed that snake bite so that he could show that entire heathen island, this is my man. God had a reason. And I don't know why you're having a tough time with a relationship or a school bill or somebody at work or something at home. I don't know why you have that affliction. But if you're faithful through it, people are going to see. That guy really is called of God. That gal really is heading in the right direction. Now, despite all of the difficulties, despite the fact that Paul was uh, a man that had been stranded and wounded and branded, God was still lifting him up. And sometimes when we think everything's falling apart, Guess what? God's still working. So let me give you a few indications of that. How do, how do we know God was still working? Look at verse 7. In the same quarters, that means like in the same neighborhood, were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us 
and lodged us. Right in the middle of that difficult time, with drenched clothes, the leader of the entire area says, come to my house. You can stay here at my house. The light is always on at my house. Come on in and have a, have a, a stay with us. Secondly, verse 8 tells us that Publius, the father of Publius, was sick with a fever and a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So God says, I'm going to give you a place to stay. I'm going to give you power to heal this man. And then thirdly, look at verse 9. So when this was done, and others also which had disease in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. Isn't that something? Here's a man who could have said, I'm not building a fire, you build the fire. I am sick and tired of this. I'm calling Dr. Getch. This is nowhere what they said it was going to be like. I'm out of here. I'm going to join a community church and a rock and roll band. He could have had his little attitude, but he just kept putting fire on the wood. He just kept doing what God wanted him to do. Oh, by the way, God gave him a place to stay. Oh, by the way, God gave him power for ministry. Oh, by the way, the whole island honored him. In fact, you can go to Malta today and see statues built commemorating the very verses I'm preaching to you right now. So, you can quit, you can shift philosophies, or you can just keep doing what you know to be right, and you'll find something out, and it's wonderful. God will take care of you. He will take care of you. So what do you do when you're stranded and feeling lonely? And what do you do when you're wounded and feeling bitten? And what do you do when you're branded and someone's gossiping about you? What do you do? You just keep trusting your Lord. You just keep looking to Him, and He will take care of you. 